Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Skylit. Um, today we have Sarah Sala, and I'll read a little bio before we start. Sarah M. Sala is the author of Devil's Lake, the founding director of Office Hours Poetry Workshop, and assistant poetry director, poetry editor for the Bellevue Literary Review. She teaches expository writing at New York University. Her work appears or is forthcoming in Baum, Michigan, Quarterly Review, the Southampton Review, and the Brooklyn Rail. Um, and you could find out more at sarasala.com. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Yeah, how are you feeling about the debut collection? I'm feeling good in the sense that uh, August 11th was the launch, which oh. fantastic reading. I, I feel like instead of- It was yesterday. Was yesterday, yeah. How was I, that? It was lovely. Um, and Carson read, C.A. Conrad read, uh, Moncho Alvarado, Ricardo Alberto Maldonado, and Omatara James. Wow. Basically, I can't do anything alone because I come from a big <laughs> family. So I wanted a big celebration. Oh, that's really sweet. Yeah, well, I, was allowed, I, was gonna, I was gonna make it the joke that instead of feeling nine months pregnant, I felt 12 months pregnant oh because we pushed the book back a little bit uh, just with everything in the pandemic, but it, it all worked out. How long did, like, how long of a process was this book? To write it? Yeah, like, how, like, what is the oldest poem in the collection? I would say the oldest poem is probably from 2005. There's one that I made in an undergraduate poetry class. Um, so that's the oldest, and I, I worked on it for about 10 years. Just, just constantly rewriting it? Constantly rewriting. I, I would get to the point where I thought, the collection was done and then I would go back a month or two later and just take out 20% of the poems and just put new ones in. And I did that for probably four years from like 2014 on until it got accepted. Wow. Yeah. So this is a true work of love. <laughs> yeah. Well, if I could have you read some poems, uh, that'd be great. Sure. So I'll read the poem that begins the collection here. This is called Hydrogen. You wanna talk bang? Hydrogen was there at 100 hours in the coke-colored velodrome of dark matter. Gases checking gases ad infinitum. Chartreuse flare, then a deafening birth. Ions of cosmos cartwheeling pink, red, yellow, green, purple, blue, black in the sphere of night. First, I was a star, then, 
a stain of water, then a kindergartner. That one was actually featured on a Radiolab episode oh, nice. uh, for NPR in collaboration with the Mode of Fruition a while back. So that's a, that's a cool, cool story there. This one's called The Image Surprises. Great-grandmother with night-water night black hair braided down her back. Aunt who learned at her mother's funeral the native tribes we descend from, now losing photons of her brain to dementia. Blood isn't culture. If it were, I'd know how to prepare, to prepare a Polish New Year's feast, a lucky silverfish. My other great-grandmother donated her body to science in Detroit, returned in 1987 as an urn we kept in the closet beside the board games. Whenever I stole inside for hide and seek or a blanket, I whispered, hello. Lots of people think I only have two sisters, but there's a third. I used to joke, I'm not gay, my girlfriend is, until a priest advised my sister to absent my wedding. Now I carry a picture of her like a missing persons report I could file at any moment. So I, I try to tell you a story. It's easier to say, a man loved blue so much he married a blueberry and rolled her all the way to France, than it is to say sequence is a binding thread, and we're all just trying not to spin off into the moon. Interior versus exterior. This poem closes the collection. At my worst, I control the boundaries of my form, and yet when divine, the self permeates the physical world. It's true, the atoms of our bodies grieve each other in death, just like a color doesn't occur alone, but takes meaning from other colors. The moon was a changeable star that ruled men's fate. Water was green and not blue to medieval cartographers. The complexity of ochre begs the viewer to grapple with it. We are swiftly becoming an indoor species. Yet, scientists know more about our outer space than the Earth's oceans. Humans brought the natural world into their homes to combat the rise of machines. Without us knowing, trees converse via lattice fungi. Gender isn't something one is, but performs. We are a vast assembly of nerve cells, the continents longing for each other. A personal reading. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I find it really interesting that you open the collection with like this moment of a bang, the universe. And I was wondering um, what sort of foil does the universe as a concept, as an act, as like a, a moment uh, provide for the violences that you explore within the collection, which is like shootings, deaths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I thought about the arc of the book, I thought, you know, is it going to be like a rainbow, like a start, basically a peak and then it comes back down for resolution? Is it going to start somewhere and then kind of circle in on itself like a coil? Or mm -hmm. is it going to be, you know, like a point that shoots outwards like an arrow? So I wanted to begin with the birth of the universe, basically pre-humans, uh, just at our most elemental. Mm -hmm. and then go into kind of the the American violence that, you know, uh, we've been living through for as long as America has existed. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and specifically, you know, violence against um, 
people of color and the queer community too. Yeah. So I take a lot of inspiration from events that I, I see on social media, I see in the news, you know, friends reacting to these really difficult stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one of the aspects of your poetry that I really enjoyed is uh, some of the more straightforward elements of it, where it's just recounting an event that had occurred and I was able to pinpoint it uh, on like a, like a moment that I saw it on my Twitter feed. Um, and yeah. it reminded me a lot of like Wendy Trevino. Um, yeah, I spend way too much time on social media. Today I saw some article, there's a study that came out that there's a certain species of beetles that a frog can swallow and the beetles can just crawl out of their butt and totally cool. be fine. And I sent it to friends and they're like, how do you find this stuff? <laughs> I was like, it finds me. So I get really upset at myself for mindlessly scrolling, but I'm never mindlessly scrolling. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm always trolling for something that I can use. In a <laughs> or, I mean, this is our life. We're experiencing yeah. it, you know, through this filter of being a poet. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering if you could tell me a bit about how you uh, conceptualize queerness in relation to nature, um, which is another topic that you kind of touch upon a lot in the collection. Yeah, when I think of queerness in nature, Leanne Maxey and I, who is a painter, a queer painter, uh, talk a lot about this from her own work. So there's four um, poems in the collection that directly engage with her work. And through her work, you know, she, she thinks about this idea that to be gay is unnatural because both of us have an, a religious upbringing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think in my work, I want to turn that on its head. Mm -hmm. I love spending time in nature. I love animals. I love green things, you know, trees oxygenate the earth. And I don't think we can just relegate some, someone or, you know, a sexuality to be quote unnatural. So my work, seeks to kind of reclaim that queer identity and celebrate it also. Mm -hmm. Like a poem like Joan Butch is, the title is taken directly from one of her paintings where I just imagine this masculine presenting person just kind of waking up one day, you know, putting on like a sweet button down, like nice, nice jeans and some work boots and be like, fuck yeah, I look great. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting to experience or to think about that uh, the concept that like queerness is unnatural um, mm -hmm. because it makes me think of the last poem that you end the collection with where you say genders a performance um, which would kind of reinforce the belief that it's unnatural and that everyone is always constantly performing it. Um, I guess I think about gender, I mean, there's biological sex and then there's gender, right? I spent so much of my young upbringing thinking about how many days of the week I would wear my hair down, mm -hmm. starving myself to be attractive in the like traditional femme sense. Mm -hmm. And when I learned that, you know, pre-colonial, you know, pre-colonization, all these other like different cultures. Um, there's, you know, like six, six different genders. Um, 
if we're looking at like Pinoy culture or in the Native American tradition, there's two spirit people or, you know, trans people are just much more accepted in other cultures. So I guess I'm trying to live my life, not just in my timeline, but look at the history of civilization before white people started tinkering with everything. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> myself in that too, like I'm very mixed culture. Um, I was basically raised white and I, I just think there's so much more that we don't know. So I also read the study that said for someone to be clocked um, as a man on the street, you basically just need like one or two indicators, mm. you know, weird, or like, I don't even know. Um, I was like, what are other manly things? <laughs> I, know, I guess the way someone walks or their, their boots or something, but to be clocked as feminine or female, you have to have five things. Mm. So even just to be read as femme, you have to work so much harder mm -hmm. because we just default to the masculine. Mm -hmm. And that also goes to like how people view like androgyny, mainly in like masculine terms, uh, mm -hmm. rather than feminine. Um, yeah, I think you just try to simplify identity with a glance. Like oh, I can look at that person and understand everything I need to know about them, but I don't think it's that easy. So mm -hmm. when I think about the performance of gender, I, I really just think of it in the most basic terms that we're kind of like a blank slate and we dress ourselves up every single day. And you can, I like to get away from that binary of, you know, masculine or feminine and, and just kind of have that, that sliding scale of whatever you feel like on that day. Um, in your poem, Duet, uh, one of the duets uh, states, her entire life, people who love her will leave her for nature. Um, and I guess I was wondering if you could elaborate on that, considering how you conceptualize nature. Yeah, duet is almost like a primal poem for me. I wrote this coming from a workshop where Maggie Nelson gave us a prompt of trying to remember or write down a memory from every year of our lives, mm -hmm. um, according to like your grades at school. So this one really is, it's more like writing out of a mood mm. than it is anything else in terms of like a narrative. But I think I was just a really lonely kid and I grew up spending so much time outside that, and then being a queer kid too, I always felt like an outsider. So maybe there's, you know, maybe it's circling something of feeling like you never belong or feeling like other people think you're unnatural in some way. Mm -hmm. hmm. um, I'm really interested in inanimacy, which is another thing that your collection explores, um, like in Stone Butch, where the speaker is reduced to like a beer bottle towards the end or in woman where the subject tries to meld into the bench to sort of disappear from the man's gaze or a poem after man where the man is reduced to a kitchen table. And I was wondering uh, from what angle do you explore inanimacy and what kind of nuances does it provide for you? I think about it as almost like a dissociation from the body or disassociation, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I often write from the lyric space. And I think when I am most pressed 
or really not not like traumatized, but you know you know where I'm going mm-hmm. in this primal panic or something that I, I think about not being a human or leaving that body landscape. Mm-hmm. So I think you know when when the woman kisses the other woman and then the story later is that someone asked her, you know, what happened to your tooth? She said, I broke it on a bottle. That Mm -hmm. that entire relationship that Eros is reduced to just an object, the person is completely gone. So I I just like couldn't imagine another way of saying that Mm -hmm. or that the violence of that reduction. Mm -hmm. Which is the thing that you say in another poem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All reduction is bloodshed. Mm-hmm. Or being on the subway and just, you know, traveling while femme, that, you know, inciting a violence or that being dangerous to the point where you just want to melt into the background, but you can't, you mm-hmm. know, you can't just be a person on the subway that day. You have to be like a woman riding the subway. How do you conceptualize inanimacy in relation to nature, in relation to like the universe, like which are, I think, sort of backdrops that you explore often. I think it's the reversal of it. I think I feel most connected when when I'm in nature, when I, you know, my toes are naked in the soil or we're looking up at the stars or even just, I just adopted a a little puppy. It's a dash hound. Mm -hmm. And I feel like he brings me so much closer to the animal kingdom in the sense of, his relationship with the world is like, I want to eat, I want to sleep, and I want to play and go to the bathroom. <laughs> his day. Mm-hmm. I'm an anxious person. I'm like, I have to, I, you know, I have all these shoulds and I should all over myself every day. I'm like, I should do this. I should do that. I haven't done this. I have feelings about why I haven't done this. You know, I have time to do things or I don't. So I think when I feel most connected to the universe, I'm happiest. Mm. Um, you know, once we're not working these like nine to five jobs and squeezing out every like, you know, bit of productivity. I think that's why I love poetry. It took me 10 years to get this book in a place where I felt proud of it. Mm-hmm. And I, it's almost like I couldn't be rushed because poetry is so much for me about sculpture. It's about how it looks on the page. Mm-hmm. And someone asked me the other day, you know, what is the project of your work? Um, or kind of like, where do you see your like career trajectory? And I was like, first of all, I'm a poet. So, <laughs> lofty questions. But I said, I just want to say the things that I want to say uh, and not be rushed. And you know, just get them out in the world and, and communicate with, with readers. Yeah, that was one of uh, the things that I noticed in your collection as well, is that you explore a lot of forms. There's like blackout poetry or like poems that are... Uh, position sideways and a uh, nature poem which includes an image um, and I guess I was wondering as an editor um, how how was the like collection arranged like how did you reach a conclusion to your order and like how did you determine the sections well in thinking about form I often can't figure out a poem until I figure out the form. It just clicks and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, bam, here's a poem. So I wrote and I wrote and I wrote towards this book and, you know, maybe five years in, I I really realized, you know, here's the kernel. These are going to be poems about, you know, violence and these are going to be poems about queerness and nature. Mm -hmm. 
And I really struggled with the order. I had so many different orders and I, I kept reading, you know, theories of like how to order books, like how do other people uh, I asked like everyone and then I just kept arranging and rearranging and finally the sections came forward for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started thinking about these very recent poems based on news stories and then the middle section is this, you know, 15 page poem about these two women who are shot at and one is killed while hiking and then kind of like the autobiographical section and I really thought about what is the emotional arc that I want the reader to experience as they move through the poems what do I want them to feel as they go Mm -hmm. yeah I felt uh very much like the first section was kind of an exploration of interiority and like childhood and then the last section was kind of an exploration of like familial ties and like events current events and then uh i think the one of the parts of the collection that really stood out to me was the center um which is nature poem and uh, i was wondering if you could talk to me a little bit more about that poem and how you came across that story of claudia and rebecca sure yeah i think i figured out the collection by figuring out the first poem the last poem and then what is the what is the dead center of of the book and I really started to feel like that was nature poem. Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, I saw a documentary about uh, Claudia Brenner and Rebecca White who were hiking on the Appalachian Trail and this young man who's like 23 years old, described as a mountain man who was living in the mountains and obviously not well, um, sought to murder them because he saw them as lesbians. Um, mm-hmm. They're actually, kissing and being intimate in the moment that he shot them. Mm. So I immediately became obsessed with this story, I think because I thought it could happen to any queer person. Mm-hmm. It haunted me. So I watched the documentary and immediately read Claudia Brenner's um, memoir. And then I wrote a version of the poem with strikeouts and it got published. Mm-hmm. And then I was still so unsettled by this. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I completely did a rewrite. I had a friend who was going through the manuscript with me and he said, you know, I don't think the lyric works in this. I think you have to let the story stand for itself. Mm-hmm. You have to cut away anything extraneous. Mm-hmm. And at first I really pushed back on that. I was like, I love this poem. I feel like if this is the one poem that I wrote for my whole life, I'd be happy. But then I couldn't let go of his voice too. So I actually realized after I'd already written a version that the Cornell Library had all Claudia Brenner's papers and effects, artifacts from this time. Uh-huh. So we road tripped up to Ithaca and looked through these two huge boxes mm-hmm. um, of, of these papers and I found the, the body tag. Um, uh. And it was just a piece of paper in this box that I could handle with my hands. And I, it just felt so close to home. I don't know. And I asked myself so many times, like, you know, why do I connect so much with the story? And I think I had to get to the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Why? How, how can we protect ourselves? How could this ever happen? Mm-hmm. Um, so the form for this poem, I wanted it to be very spare. In most places, it's just two words walking side by side down the page. I think of it almost as like a flag at half mast because the mm-hmm. poem ends in the middle of the page. There are these small digestible, you know, stanzas that are, I want it to be so spare. And I guess you're, I'm really taking a chance that in the middle of the book, there's like a 15 page 
Yeah. Um, but that was what I wrote last. I was working on that up until January 2020. Uh, so shove that into the collection right before it. <laughs> well, it's really beautiful. Um, Thank you. So yeah, what is your relationship to pop culture? Um, in your poems, you compare the heart to the size of a Coke, or you talk about Game Boys and quote Miley Cyrus. And I was just wondering, how does pop culture inform your writing? And like, how do you navigate the balance between too much or too little? Uh, I teach essay writing at NYU. And one of the cool things that we really focus on and think about is how do you incorporate all these different modes of I guess what I would call like exhibits into your own writing. Like if you're writing an essay, how can you bring in a photograph or how can you bring in, I don't know, like the description of a, whatever's on the back of a cereal box or something. So for me, I, I try to cast a wide net. Uh, I was listening to my Miley Cyrus on repeat when I was writing <laughs> that poem and she just like snuck into the poem. Uh -huh. like, Whoa, I guess I'll like tweet this at her when I'm done with it. <laughs> Or in, in the spirit of reading and combing for strange facts, I was trying to write a poem about a baby, I think. Mm -hmm. And I learned that basically we're just heart cells when we're born and everything else comes out of that. Mm -hmm. And I learned in that process of research that the human heart weighs as much as a can of Coke. So I kind of just carried that fact around with me for a while, just trying to put it into any poem. Just Yeah, just is, that, is that why there's Coke and hydrogen? Nope, completely unrelated. <laughs> yeah. I don't even really drink soda very much. Mm -hmm. But um, once, once that, you know, terrible news story mm -hmm. uh, happened with the shooting, you know, in the church, it just clicked. It, it was devastating to put that uh, fact into the poem. Yeah. I think it does a really good job of uh, localizing the collection within the U.S. Um, but I'm also wondering in terms of more specifically within the US, where are your poems located? Like what states, what cities? Previously, I thought about ordering the collection based on geography. I would say Michigan and then New York City. That's probably the bulk of the poems mm -hmm. are contemplating the Midwest, where I came from, Michigan, and then where I catapulted myself, New York City. And I've been here for 11 years now so I'm starting to, to really put down roots. Mm -hmm. But when I was in Michigan, I found myself having difficulty writing about the Midwest. And then as soon as I left, all I wanted to write about. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of neat in that way to get to return to it and really think about it from a little more objective perspective. Mm -hmm. And Devil's Lake is an actual lake. It's an actual lake in Michigan. Yeah, that's where I grew up my partner came up with the title. She was like, what a cool name. Why don't you call this collection Devil's Lake? Yeah. Uh, the collection that she's working on, there's a line in one of her poems about having Jesus colored skin. So I was like, that needs to be looked <laughs> kind of like Jesus and the devil, like for, yeah. our, for our first poetry collections. That's funny. Were you, were you actually baptized at the lake? I was actually baptized in that lake, yeah. Back in the day when they would like come to your house and do that stuff. Yeah. Now you have to like go to church and do it. Um, but I mean, that's another element of just being connected to the natural universe around you. Like imagine 
being baptized in a giant lake in front of humans and creatures. And I don't know, for me, it was just like, mm -hmm. about it now, I belong to that place. How does um, religion kind of form your relationship to nature or like, how do you think you like touch upon that within the collection? I have probably tried to avoid it actually. Mm. Um, I was raised religious and then coming out as queer is, is difficult to navigate those territories. Mm -hmm. Difficult as in other people have trouble accepting queer folks into the church. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why I'm so drawn to the natural world because we are natural beings, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but I, I would describe growing up thinking with, you know, with the apocalypse hanging over your head every day mm -hmm. as painting a very small windowless room. Mm -hmm. And I think when I finally got rejected by some people close to me who are very religious, mm -hmm. I felt complete freedom. I felt like mm -hmm. now I have this expansive earth to walk and find things on my own term, uh, on my own terms. And then I was really drawn to meditation and Buddhism also. So I think I just gave myself a lot more flexibility. And I also believe that not everything can be known. Mm -hmm. Humans think we know everything. It's so constrictive. Yeah. Yeah. It really ties back to um, the quote by Dickinson that you start the collection with. Um, I'm out with lanterns looking for myself. The best part of that quote is that it comes from a letter where she's just moved houses and she's pissed. She like can't find any of her stuff. It's like all over the place and she's like trying to unpack and she's like, I'm out with lanterns looking for myself. <laughs> Everyone thinks Dickinson is so like serious and she's like America's like best female poet, which uh -huh. she is, but she's also very funny and gay um, <laughs> and people stuffed her into a windowless room mm -hmm. in terms of her legacy and if you ever get the chance if you haven't already wild nights with emily is a hilarious movie and molly shannon plays emily dickinson it's so good okay i'll check it out uh, well those are all my questions i don't know if you wanted to touch upon anything else no, I think that was really lovely. And thank you for taking the time uh, to look at this work. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed it. So as part of launching the collection, there's a website that's going to run for a few months. It's devils-lake.com. And it's a gallery of artwork and poems and poetry broadsides that anybody can go and look through. And you can purchase art or broadsides and donate to the charity that the artists have listed there. What uh, charity have you chosen? Immigration Equality. Uh, it helps queer folks um, with immigration, like navigating the, the US system, which I think would be so difficult. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, everyone, go check it out, please. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was nice meeting you. Um, I'm going to finish recording this. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.